Good evening, and welcome to Nightmare Theater, an open book club for nightmares. I'm Sander Desmond with the Forgotten Grove, um, and this is episode seven now. Episode seven, and we're going to be talking about homicidal sleepwalking. That's what today's episode is all about. Um, it's going to be a good one. I really enjoyed some of the research that I was doing, like for the presentation. Uh, it's going to be a lot of like case studies, but they're, they're all pretty interesting and most of them have a bit of a twist. Uh, after the presentation, we're going to be doing some, uh, reading some nightmares from Reddit as usual. Uh, and after that, we have not one, but two viewer submitted nightmares to read at the end. So I'll try to save seven or eight minutes for that. Um, but yeah, it's going to be good. Um... Let's get into the presentation. Perfect. Okay. So, as I mentioned, we're going to be talking about homicidal somnambulism or sleepwalking. And there are multiple court cases where this has been argued. Uh, and in many of them, the evidence has uh, been shown to be true, but for many others uh, that are disputed or the argument was thrown out. So we'll kind of be the judge of that ourselves uh, tonight as we kind of go through the cases as well. But first, I think it's important that we quickly recap sleepwalking itself. So if you recall, my little diagram of the sleep cycle here. Uh, so phase four is when night terrors, confusional arousals, and any sort of delta sleep movement occurs. So this in includes sleepwalking. Um, and during this phase, your body is free to move because it's not supposed to be dreaming. But in sleepwalking, what's unusual is that you do dream or you seem to dream and it's a separate type of dream from uh, what normally happens in REM sleep. Uh, so basically you're free to act out your dreams in phase four and as you'll see in some cases you're also free to commit murder. Um, and so I kind of want to go through you know in order from some of the older cases to the newer cases uh, but this in uh, American history was the first uh, case where sleepwalking defense was successful in a murder prosecution. Uh, so this is referred to as the Boston Tragedy in 1846. Um, and it involves a man named Albert Tyrrell, who was known to be unfaithful. And in 1845, he left his wife for a prostitute named Maria Bickford, who lived in a Boston brothel. Uh, Tyrell fell in love with her and they began living together and they would travel together and he tried to get her to leave her profession uh, but she didn't want to give it up um, and then on October 27th 1845 early in the morning loud noises were heard emanating from her room in the brothel uh, and the uh, Maria Bickford was found to be brutally murdered and Tyrell uh, was last seen with her. He'd been seen entering the brothel and he'd been seen leaving. And so he was accused of her murder. Uh, his parents hired Rufus uh, Choate, 
which is a famous Boston attorney at the time who was noted for his innovative defensive strategies uh, that he employed to acquit his clients. Um, so the way that the murder was alleged to have happened, to have gone down, uh, it was using a razor and Tyrell was thought to have slit her throat from ear to ear so deeply that her head was nearly detached from her body. Um, he also allegedly set three fires in the brothel uh, in an attempt to burn it down and to burn evidence. Uh, and although he had been at the brothel that even evening, no eyewitnesses had actually seen him carry out the murder itself. Um, but uh, so Tyrell's lawyer, uh, Choate, that's his last name for short, um, emphasized to the jury that there was uh, the evidence of the crime was circumstantial and that Tyrell had no motive to kill Bickford. So that was his like first uh, point. Uh, he then also set forth two possible explanations for the jury to consider. The first was that Bickford could have committed suicide and that there was no proof that she did not in the frenzy of the moment and with giant strength let out the scream of life. That's a direct quote. Um, but I mean, I was thinking when I read it and indeed it, it, they thought at the time that the brutality of the slashing made the explanation implausible. So that was actually his first argument was that she had in committing suicide, nearly decapitated herself, which is ridiculous, right? So then uh, Choi turned to an alternative explanation, which is that Tyrell, a habitual sleepwalker, could have murdered Bickford under the influence of a nightmare or a trance. And again, it wasn't even his first argument, which kind of I, I think would be odd <laughs> if I were on that jury. Uh, but in the 1840s, there was no medical explanation for sleepwalking, and medical experts differed over what its cause might be. So Choate read to the jury popular uh, treatises with description of, descriptions of violence attributed to sleepwalking, and while rem, uh, reminding them that uh, if they returned a guilty verdict, uh, Tyrell would certainly be executed. Uh, even if there existed a remote chance that he was innocent, he was imploring them to uh, let them go, so sort of playing on their emotions a little bit. And after two days of deliberation, the jury decided that Tyrell was not guilty, so he was actually acquitted. Um, but yeah, I kind of, I, I couldn't help but laugh a bit at the, the argument, because it's, as I, as I typed in my notes here, it's, his argument is sort of, I mean, none of us can say that it wasn't sleepwalking, uh, and then played on the jury's emotions. So, uh, I don't know how I feel about that one. It does seem like he's he probably uh, did it well conscious. Uh, but after being acquitted, uh, Tyrell attempted unsuccessfully to get half of Choate's legal fees refunded on the grounds that his innocence had been obvious. So, I don't know. I just I added that in because I thought. He just seems like a bit of a scumbag, like overall, like, I don't think that that would have been obvious. His innocence was obvious and he tried to have his fees reduced. Uh, and then after the uh, notoriety generated by the trials died down, Tyrell lived the remainder of his life in obscurity. A more recent case, uh, this Bowshears case in 1961. So this is Sergeant Willis Bowshears. He was a U.S. serviceman based in the U.K. 
He confessed to strangling a local woman named uh, Jean Constable. Jean Constable, let me say that again, in the early hours on New Year's Day, 1961, but claimed that he was asleep and only woke to realize what he had done. Several days later, he was arrested... Oh, sorry, I missed something. So the following day, Boshears disposed of her body in an isolated lane, which doesn't really sound like the behavior of someone who, you know, was sleepwalking and genuinely felt, you know, guilty about what they had done, uh, or the behavior of an innocent person, for that matter. Several days later, though, he was arrested and charged with murder. At his trial in February 1961, at the Essex uh, Assizes, he pled not guilty on the basis of being asleep at the time he committed the offense, and he was actually acquitted. Uh, this one, I think, I believe even less than the previous one, uh, to be honest. Um, and here we have a Canadian case. I believe this was the first uh, Canadian case where the sleepwalking defense was successful. Um, and so in 1987, Kenneth James Parks uh, was, uh, he married a 23-year-old uh, with a five-month-old daughter. That's not really important to the story, sorry. Uh, he had very close relationship with his in-laws, with his 42-year-old uh, mother-in-law, Barbara Ann Woods, referring to him as her gentle giant. The summer before the controversial events, he developed a gambling problem and fell into deep financial issues. To recover his losses, he took funds from his family's savings and then began to embezzle at work. Eventually, in March 1987, his actions were discovered and he was fired from his job. On May 20th, he went to his first Gamblers Anonymous meeting. He made plans to tell his grandmother the following Saturday and his in-laws on the Sunday about his gambling problems and financial difficulties. Early on the morning of May 24th, 1987, however, Kenneth Parks drove 20 kilometers from Pickering, Ontario, to the house of his in-laws in Scarborough. He entered their house with a key they had previously given him and used a tire iron to bludgeon his mother-in-law to death. He then turned on his father-in-law attempting to choke him to death, but the man managed to survive the attack. He got back into his car, despite being covered in blood, drove straight to the nearby uh, police station and confessed, turning himself in and stating, I think I just killed two people. Park's uh, only defense was that he was asleep during the entire incident and was not aware of what he was doing. Naturally, nobody believed it, uh, even sleep specialists were extremely skeptical. However, after careful investigation, the specialists could find that there was no other explanation. Parks's electroencephalogram, which is that thing that generates those waves of brain activity, uh, his readings were highly irregular even for a parasomniac um, when, they, when they measured it while he slept. Uh, this, combined with uh, facts that there was no motive, uh, and that he was uh, amazingly consistent in his stories for more than seven interviews despite repeated attempts of trying to lead him astray. Uh, that the timing of the events fit perfectly with the proposed explanation, and there was no other way to falsify the EEG results. 
electroencephalogram. Led to the jury acquitting Parks of his murder uh, of his mother-in-law and the attempted murder of his father-in-law. This then went to the Supreme Court of Canada um, five years later, uh, and they upheld the decision to acquit him. Uh, now this one for me does seem like genuine because he immediately realizes what he's done and turns himself in and again yeah it doesn't really seem like there's much of a motive and I don't know that just must be a very horrific thing to wake up and find yourself in the middle of. Falatter case in 1997 so Scott Falatter a resident of Phoenix Arizona was accused of murdering his wife Yarmila by stabbing her 44 times on the night of January 16, 1997. According to an eyewitness, Falater was also seen holding his wife's head underwater. When he was tired, he used the sleepwalking defense. Sorry, when he was tried, he used the sleepwalking defense. But the prosecution claimed that after the murder had been committed, Falater changed his clothes, put the murder weapon in a Tupperware container, put the container in a trash bag with boots and socks, and then stashed that bag in the spare tire well in the trunk of his car. The prosecutors testified that Flatter's actions were too complex to have been carried out while sleepwalking. And in June 1999, uh, Scott Flatter was convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. I do think that that seems like a the prosecutor's arguments make sense to me i don't really sleepwalk and i i don't have a lot of experience with people who do and i can't really imagine the degree to which you can actually carry out those detailed things because one thing that also amazed me about the sleepwalking incident in the previous uh case actually um was the fact that he drove 20 kilometers which I mean, I guess your eyes can be open while sleepwalking, but you have to imagine that he was getting some input from the real world and acting upon it, which is quite interesting. Um, you know, because if his eyes were just closed, that would be extremely lucky or extremely brilliant. You'd have to assume to be able to drive completely blind for 20 kilometers and end up at the exact right place. Um, interesting thoughts. Uh, the Nito case in 2001. Antonio Nito, uh, 58, a resident of Malaga, Spain, murdered his wife and mother-in-law using an axe and a hammer on January 11, 2001. Nito's daughter suffered a jaw fracture, but was left alone after feigning death, and his son disarmed him after receiving a cut on the ear. Nito claimed to have been asleep during the attack, and was also claimed that he was dreaming that he was defending himself against aggressive ostriches. However, his children stated that he had recognized them and had even told his son not to turn on the lights because their mother, gravely injured already, was sleeping. In 2007, uh, Nito, uh, already under psychiatric treatment, was sentenced to 10 years uh, intermittent in a psychiatric hospital and was ordered to pay 171,000 euros as compensation to the victims. Uh, so I think I, I, you know, based on the evidence that they put forth there, it does seem like that was just a defense he was trying to use rather than something that actually happened. But who knows what the truth really is. 
Low Case, 2004. On October 30th, 2004, the body of an 83-year-old Edward Lowe was found on his driveway in Manchester, England. His son, Jules, admitted that he had caused his father's death, but did not remember committing the act and used the uh, automatism as his defense. So, uh, I figured out today, I learned today, that that's a legal term, uh, meaning for whatever reason you're out of your mind or unable to, you know, your decisions were not your own, essentially. Uh, but obviously in this case we're talking about from a sleep-related context. He was found not guilty by reason of insanity and was detained at Her Majesty's pleasure, which means indefinitely, I, I enjoyed that term though, uh, in a secure hospital. And he was released actually after 10 months, so Her Majesty's pleasure was 10 months. Um, again, difficult to say with this one. We don't have too much uh, evidence, or I didn't find too much. Uh, and then the last one here, the Thomas case, Brian Thomas, aged 59, who suffered from uh, automatism and sleepwalking since he was a child, confessed to strangling his 57-year-old wife, Christine, in July 2008 in their camper van while on vacation. He called emergency services and was heard telling the operator, what have I done? I've been trying to wake her. I think I've killed my wife. Oh my God, I thought someone had broken in. I was fighting with those boys, but it was Christine. I must have been dreaming or something. What have I done?" End quote. He claimed he had mistaken his wife for an intruder, as you just heard, and then woke up to find out that it was his wife. He was freed in 2009 by a judge who found him not guilty of murder. This is another one that I think is legitimate just because of his reaction. Like That does seem like a very genuine reaction to me. And I wonder how many of these, in how many of these cases, it's it's really almost up to the, the judge or jury's, like, discretion of how genuine you seem. I wonder if that comes into play at all. Like, obviously there's some, you know, instances where the evidence matters, but, you know, in many of these cases there isn't really evidence because it happens at night in your own room, you know. So, yeah, that one's kind of a sad one. I found that tragic. And then there's, of course, also depictions of homicidal sleepwalking in popular culture. Uh, in TV, the episode Dreamcatchers in the fifth season of the TV series Teen Wolf dealt with this. Also in an episode of Criminal Minds titled In the Dark, a serial killer suffers from this illness, killing multiple people during the night while asleep. In movies, the 2010 thriller In My Sleep depicts a character who believes he may have murdered a good friend while sleepwalking. The movie was inspired by real-life cases, uh, and then also the 2013 thriller Side Effects focuses on a woman who allegedly kills her husband while sleepwalking uh, due to a side effect of the medication she's taking. And that's it for the presentation. Um, sounds like a fake excuse. Yeah, it does in, in many of these cases, for sure. Um, complete scumbag, yeah. I'm not sure which ones these are referring to, but I thought the, the ostrich one almost sounded like a lazy attempt at making up what a dream might be. Like, like, like what case could I possibly imagine for, you know, murdering somebody with a hammer and an axe? Ostriches, maybe because they're kind of tallish, like a human? Who knows? 
My cousin used to get dressed and go out to get his motorbike and start it. But the fam was hip to the scene and brought him back in. That's good. I wonder how successful he would have been at actually driving it. That's like that guy in the car who just kept it kept it rolling all the way 20 kilometers. That's crazy to me. Let's read some Reddit nightmares. Also, is my volume good? I think there were some complaints about the music being too loud last week, but hopefully it's good now. Alright, this is a post by a user named Soybubble. The post is titled, White School. The post reads, Hello, I just had this dream yesterday, and I remember it pretty clearly. So it starts with me waking up for school, but it was like two in the morning. I didn't even have to get ready because I was already dressed. Dream logic. So I went to the bus stop and waited until the bus came. It came up very slowly and then the doors opened. The lights inside the bus were red. The bus driver was some old guy who looked like he hadn't slept for weeks. He shot me a very stern look in his face and said, just get in. When the guy, uh, and when this guy yelled at me, I honestly didn't care, so I just got on and sat on the bus. No one was on the bus. One of my closest friends came on and gave me the most disgusted look and sat at the back of the bus rather than sitting with me. It was a dream, so I kind of rolled with it. It took like two hours to drive to my school, even though it only takes nine minutes in real life. The school bus eventually pulled up in front of the school and I got off. My friend disappeared for some reason, so I got to the school alone by myself. The inside of the school was completely white, like a hospital, and it smelled like a hospital too. I walked around the school and it was completely empty, no sign of anyone, absolutely no sound except for my shoes clacking on the marble floor. I look into each room and no furniture was visible, nothing at all, no desks, nothing. I got unsettled by this, so I go up to the doors and try opening them. They were locked up pretty damn good, so that wasn't an option. I try searching for more exits, but there was nothing. Then I just hear this high-pitched scream of a girl coming from one of the hallways, and I got very unsettled by this. Then I see this deformed-looking woman walk out from one of the rooms. Her eyes were very dilated, and her limbs were twisted and messed up. She was wearing normal, girly clothes. She just stared at me. At this point, I couldn't move. I tried to scream, but my voice was completely mute. My body would not even allow me to move for some reason. She just began limping towards me, very swiftly. And that's where my nightmare ended. There's a lot to that one, especially if you think back to last week when we talked about themes and nightmares. Um, not being able to move, not being able to speak. Uh, hmm, big empty space. That's, I don't know if we've actually talked about that, but just kind of like a big empty play in space. It's hard to know what could possibly have fueled this nightmare. Like he's got a friend that's mad at him. Everybody in the dream is mad at him. That's common. 
The woman glares at him. The bus driver's rude to him. His friend is mean to him. I think it's a him. I don't really know. Um, yeah. I don't know. I enjoyed it, though. I can't um, think of too much more poignant to say. Like, trying to think of what it could be about. He's being taken, it's taking him a long time to go to nowhere, and when he gets there it's just nothing. And then somebody yelling at him again. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's a, that's a complicated one. This is a nightmare by a user named Ebor55. The nightmare is titled, I've had the same nightmare for three days in a row. The nightmare reads, I don't know why, but it keeps returning. It starts with me being somewhere with my family, maybe in a park or at an amusement park. I suddenly start bleeding somewhere. The first time I had this nightmare, it was my arm that started bleeding. The second time, it was my right thumb. And last night, it was my toes that started bleeding. Then, it becomes night in like a second and everyone is gone. I think some kind of ghost or demon appears and snaps his neck. It looks exactly like me. It then starts hunting me, and I've always managed to hide in some place until it was daytime, and then I wake up. I have no idea why I had this dream for three days now. I hope I don't get it again tonight. If anyone knows anything about this or something, I don't know, please tell me, because I don't know anything about dreaming. Thanks for reading. Well, I actually do have some thoughts about this based on some of the things we learned about themes and uh, whatever the last week's one was. I don't remember my own presentations. But uh, first of all, the dream, one of the themes is chasing. Um, and that, in terms of interpretation, is supposed to suggest that um, you're trying to avoid something there's something that you're trying to avoid in your life. The second component to this that's interesting to me is that um, the thing that's chasing you is a version of yourself. Um, so it could be that you're avoiding something that you have to think about or yeah, because usually like, like for example, with these chasing dreams, right? Like you would have, let's say a, a man is chasing you or you know some mob of people or maybe it's a monster or maybe it's an animal and the idea is that the way that you hide or the way that you run is mimicking how you would react to confrontation in your real life so if you hide in the chasing nightmare that means you're more likely to maybe hide in real life if you um just run maybe you like hit them and run then that maybe indicates you know how you would behave in real life obviously if you address the confrontation in the dream then that wouldn't make sense because then you would be also addressing it in real life and it wouldn't be something chasing you you wouldn't be having the nightmare so what's interesting though is like let's say you have you know you're avoiding telling your boss something at work or something like that and then it would be a, a male in the dream you know, or some sort of authority figure, or maybe it would be your boss itself. But the fact that it's yourself makes is very interesting. It makes it seem like there's some difficult conversation that you have to have with yourself that you're avoiding. 
Um, and then you have random bleeding, which is a very creepy thought. Um, but in terms of meaning, uh, I guess that would fall into the category of like an injury theme. And I don't recall what that means. I don't know if I have time to just check on it real quick. I guess I have time to do whatever I want. <laughs> um, and I'm actually curious to see. Uh, that's not it. It's in this one. Should be. Sorry. I just really want to know. Injuries. Here it is. So, yeah, so, okay, in nightmares, if you get injured, this is often indicative that you're feeling weak or vulnerable in some aspect of your life. Interesting. So you feel vulnerable, and then you're you're not addressing that head-on. You're running from it. That's that's interesting. That's as, that's as best as I can do. Uh, anything more than that, and uh, I don't know. That's out of my pay grade, <laughs> which is zero. So let's get into another one. This is a post by a user named 69Sorin69. The post is titled, The Scariest Lucid Dream I've Ever Had. It made me stay awake for three days out of fear of experiencing it again. The post reads, um, It all starts with me cleaning an old plastic toy-like computer in a dimly lit house with a low ceiling. For some reason, the dream began to make me nervous, so I decided to wake up. I opened my eyes and everything seemed normal, except the fact that I could not move or speak. I freaked out. I thought that I am paralyzed and I was legit scared and sad because being paralyzed is my greatest fear. The scariest part follows after that. Keep in mind that I thought I'm awake so it's a false awakening, and he's lucid in it. Interesting. Sorry. A creature with long arms and claws enters the room and stares at me. And the weirdest part is somehow it resembled my mom. Its eyes looked like lifeless, and it seems that the creature actually wore my mom's skin, but it didn't fit well. I was that scared that I thought I'd get a heart attack. The creature proceeds to scream and swear at me in my mom's voice, then lift and smack me in the mirror. That's when I finally awake for real. I lit the light, checked the mirror for any cracks while crying. I could not explain how scared I felt. I was pale and soaked in a cold sweat. I immediately called my best friend for emotional support, and I watched funny, cute videos on YouTube, but I still didn't want to sleep for three days out of terror. Sirens going by. Um, so that's pretty scary. Um, it's interesting that it's always a false awakening. Um, that's what that's called, by the way, when you when you wake up and you think that you're awake, but you're still in the dream. Um, 
I would actually say that's not lucidity, right? Because it, in lucidity, lucidity, you think that you're um, you're aware that you're in a dream, but you're suggesting, if I'm understanding correctly, that you are waking up um, and believing that you're awake when you're still asleep. So that's actually a false awakening, not lucid dreaming. But um, yeah. Oh, sorry, that that comment doesn't pertain to this one. So. I mean, it could be some confrontation maybe that you're avoiding with your mom. That could be the cause of it. Maybe she maybe she would used to come in when you're a kid and wake you up in the morning, and that's you know the extent of your nightmare. That's why you wake up in the dream at the start of it. Kind of an interesting thought. Um, yeah. This is pertaining to the previous one. Dreams about bleeding, in most cases, are a symbol of passion and love. Of course, sometimes bloody dreams may also reflect conflicts or disappointment that you will experience in the near future. Hmm. Interesting. So maybe for the for the previous one, uh, that could be you're anticipating having to deal with a conflict within yourself and... You, you think that you're going to be disappointed when you confront yourself on that issue? Interesting thought. This is a post by a user called Optimal Chocolate 181 The post is titled, Recurring Nightmare of Man in Dark Room with No Face. The post reads, I keep having a nightmare that a man is kept in a dark room filled five feet in garbage and feces. He is naked with no clothes, but his alive body is decomposed so bad it is either black-brown or just a skeleton. He doesn't have any skin, uh, any head skin, and all you see is a skeleton with chunks of skin and a decomposing brain. He can't talk, and at some point rescuers came, but just left. Then he dug through the uh, garbage of the ti to a tiny door and went into the captor's room. His captor is a tiny Asian woman, and once he breaks through, he kicks her in the face and runs. He then chases him more and beats her and runs back through the door to the hospital, through the back door to the hospital. He then recovers and grows everything back, except his hand meat. He marries a lady in a wheelchair and has a son who also doesn't have hand meat. <laughs> Sorry. I enjoy the term hand meat. It really gets the point across. Um, yeah, so that's that's an interesting one. The first thought that I had is it actually reminds me of this old like uh, torturous execution method. I believe that it was... Um, Obviously, every culture has their own, every ancient culture has their own torture methods. But this one, I, I believe, was like ancient Persia. I could be wrong, though. But it was some sort of bogging, essentially. So they would execute someone by taking them to like an actual swamp and then just tying them to a tree in that swamp. And over time, you would just, you know, decompose and get, you know, eggs laid in you with bot flies and just all these other horrible things and you know you like almost decompose living just because of the amount of biological activity in the swamp uh that's kind of what that first one reminded me of 
Another thing that's kind of interesting um, to me about this dream is that the dreamer isn't in it. He, they're just witnessing this like as a third person, uh, which I feel like is pretty unusual for a nightmare. I wonder what that could mean. Um, and it, it also kind of reminds me of Saw a little bit. And at the end, it kind of it kind of has a happy ending, other than that his son doesn't have hand meat. <laughs> um, yeah, but that's that's an interesting one. I can't really speculate on. It's difficult to speculate on a dream that doesn't even involve yourself. You know what could that be about? You like that hand mate too. I'm glad. <laughs> These are some really tough ones today. I feel like usually I've got more to say. This is a post by a user called Fibula Nebula. The post is titled Advice Needed on Horrible Nightmares. The post reads, So I've been having weird dreams about demons since I was a kid. And I'm not hardcore religious, but I do believe in God or a higher power. Every time I have these dreams and nightmares, there's always some demon attacking me or one of my family members. Sometimes it has a form like a dark mass and a humanoid outline. Other times I can't see it, but I feel a dark presence and I feel something watching me. And not just in my nightmare, like I'm half in, half out of sleep and I sense something is there, and end up fully waking up panicked. I need advice on what could cause this or how to get rid of it. I've tried sage due to a friend's advice, and I would, uh, it would help uh, for a little while, but then the dreams and nightmares would come back. I have woken up with scratches and marks and have appeared, uh, that have appeared on parts of my back I can't reach. That's freaky. Um, well, I mean, the first thought is that it sounds, you know, like sleep paralysis, right? Because you think that you're half in, half out of sleep. Uh, so you could be, you know, in that hypnagogic state, it's called, uh, where you're not quite uh, asleep and not quite awake. I'm curious to know if you ever see your room uh, when you're in this state. Um, like if, sorry, and by your room, I mean the surroundings that you would normally be experiencing in real life. Um, a dark presence. Humanoid outline. I'm not sure what could be on your mind with that. But yeah, it's it's it also doesn't even sound quite like a chasing nightmare because you're not actually running from it. So it's just something evil. And I also don't recall what that means. <laughs> but... Uh, uh, just to read my own chat here. It's interesting to analyze nightmares, but also to analyze people who do unspeakable things, which you just spoke to others. Uh, they use their lives to create real-life waking nightmares for others, and sometimes themselves. Yet they must be in a really bad place all the time themselves. Yeah, sorry, I should, I should have read that one first <laughs> before I made my own comment. Yeah, that's very true. That's a good point. I wonder, like, 
maybe as in a bit of advice for Fibula Nebula, I wonder if you're aware, since you seem to know that you're half in and half out of sleep, I wonder if you could train yourself to become lucid in those moments and then to have some sort of protocol within your dream for getting out of it. Uh, I used to do that with uh, some of my nightmares in childhood where I would, you know, there would be a vampire chasing me or whatever, and I would suddenly become aware, hey, I've had this nightmare before, and I know that I'm dreaming, and I can fly up, like, bodily, and then after a countdown of, like, five seconds, I could wake myself up. Um, a thought. <laughs> I don't know if that's going to be possible or not, but it's a thought. Um, This is a post by a user named Awkward User 1234567. The nightmare is titled Nightmare I Had a Couple Years Ago. I listened to a podcast and heard a similar story. Need advice. The post reads I had this nightmare probably two years ago. I lived with my boyfriend in our apartment, and it was probably about 6 or 5 a.m., but it was winter, so it was still dark out. When I was asleep, I remember standing in a parking lot, an empty parking lot. It was pitch black out, but the lights were on in the parking lot. It was me and this man, as you would say. We were about six feet apart. We were both facing each other, staring at another. He was really tall. He had dried blood, uh, sorry, dried blood below one corner of his mouth. And he was white, but not like a white guy, white like a crayon. He was wearing a really long black trench coat that came uh, down to his mid-calves ankles. He had a hat on, like an old-fashioned hat. Anyways, we were staring at each other, and then I remember the next thing I know. Uh, I'm lying on my back in the parking lot, and he's behind me, but he has me in a chokehold. Okay, so he, okay, you're lying on him, I suppose, then. I remember I was trying to scream my boyfriend's name, but no words came out. No sound. Nothing. Then, all of a sudden, I was awake. But I wasn't really awake. I was looking around our bedroom, but my eyes were still closed, if that makes sense. I remember looking, but I heard a voice say, You're going to see something scary. Wake up. And boom. I woke up out of sleep, with my heart pounding, and I was drenched in sweat. I turned my lamp on and stayed up. My question is, I heard about the man in the hat nightmare, but everyone describes him as a tall, dark figure, and I didn't see a dark figure. What does this mean? Has anyone had a similar experience? Well, I certainly haven't heard of the man in the hat nightmare, but it sounds like something I'm going to have to look into maybe for next week or future week. Um, so, I mean, my first thought was Slender Man, uh, of course. Uh, you know, just the, the, the tall man, and he's very pale. Don't really know what he wants, but he stares you down. Except in, in this case, I mean, another theme that we see in this one, of course, is not being able to speak. So that could feel like uh, you feel helpless about something or you feel like you can't speak up about something in the real world. Um, in terms of the monster, I don't know. Like, it, it sounds interesting that he's wearing the old-fashioned hat and, like, the way he's dressed. 
kind of also reminds me of Undertaker from the WWE in terms of the trench coat being tall, old-fashioned hat. Um, yeah, and the other thing that was really curious to me, uh, to me about this was the part where you hear the voice like you have a false awakening in the dream you wake up in your room but you know it's a dream so you're lucid and it's a false awakening and then it says you're going to see something scary wake up i'm really curious to know what would happen if you didn't wake yourself up at that point um i wonder if that would give you more answers you know maybe next time you're in that situation i mean i i wouldn't blame you for you know wait taking advantage of that lucidity and waking up that's what probably the guy in the, the previous dream i read needs to do um, but yeah, it's interesting to think, like, I'm personally curious, uh, to see what would happen if you just stayed asleep. Like, what is the scary thing? Have you ever stayed asleep? Do you know what happens? Again, just more, I'm adding more questions than I am answers at this point, I'm afraid, but, um, okay, here we have some, some helpful information in the chat, potentially. So this this one this first one is pertaining to the previous dream I read. So mums are your own inner struggles or demons. Interesting. Uh, but then this this one pertains to this dream. So a tall man in a dream is a symbol of unfulfilled dreams. A tall man with ideal stature, ideal stature. I love that. In a dream is associated with strength, confidence, reliability, and commitment. But then what does it mean to have that guy choke you? <laughs> You're being choked by your sense of strength, confidence, reliability, intelligence, and commitment. Uh, I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe there's an abstract way of looking looking at that where that all comes together. Uh, I used to have a strategy with someone I know who has trouble waking up from dreams uh, before getting up. Uh, a message posted on the wall says, "If you don't know where you are or what floor plan." Or, sorry, or if the floor plan does not seem to match with what's in your head, then you are asleep. You need to wake up. This has worked. So that's the strategy. Interesting. You think I am a loser. I feel like I'm not understanding that comment. Oh, if he chokes you. Yeah, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I suspected that that wasn't uh, directed at me. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. What time is it? Oh yeah, we still can. Got lots of time. Um, this is a nightmare posted by a user named Bob Job Joe. The post is titled, "This is like the third time I've been jump scared awake this month." The post reads, "So, it played out like a movie, sort of." The first the girl died and then came back to life in another body, which I guess wasn't weird. So she went back uh, to school and was way more shy and reserved. She started getting bullied. Her mom hated her and forced her to live in the attic, but then a guy made friends with her and as soon, uh, soon after she had a period for five days. Most people still bullied her for it, but one group of girls helped her out and rooms she was uh, in started to get colder. But she had a group of friends now, and that's when she told them she had a ghost after her, the one whose body she stole. And they were concerned for her. So they gave her a camera and a thermometer to sneak past her room, her mom, sorry, uh, 
and she filmed a video to show people what she dealed with, dealt with every night. The morning after the police found her body, and on video it showed her sitting in the bed holding the thermometer, and all of a sudden, the temperature plummets and the walls get painted black, and the ghost girl pops up and does a blood-curdling scream that woke me up. I still can't get that scream out of my head. Just looks like a grudge ripoff with huge black eyes, but enough that I'm not going back to bed now. Yeah. Interesting. So, I don't know if I've ever actually had a... I've probably had jump scare nightmares that woke me up, to be honest, but they're just not coming to mind. Um, I mean, it is set up, you know, like a horror movie. You did say at the beginning it plays it sort of like a movie, so... That is, you know, what you would expect maybe from the, the first character that gets, you know, killed by the ghost and then they find the videotape and then the videotape ends with a jump scare and then, you know, cut to black and then they have to figure it out from there. Um, yeah, again, it just seems like a like good, good story, good content. Uh, it's hard to imagine that this is saying necessarily too much about your own life, right? Because again, this is another case where you're really not in the... Uh, in the dream. You're not in your own nightmare, which is interesting. Um, and then the other thought that I had was just like the thermometer and the like the different ghost hunting equipment reminded me a bit of all those ghost hunting shows as well as Phasmophobia, so, which is a game. Maybe you've been consuming too much of that type of stuff. LOL, always wait for the next message. <laughs> We're only allowed 200 words at a time. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> that was about me uh, wondering if the loser comment was directed at me. Um, Alright. Oh, this is posted by uh, Jacob Crozier, which I believe I've spoken to him before, or at least read one of his nightmares before. That rings a bell. The post is titled... A giant horned beast, demon thing, chased me. It's so hard to start this out. I don't know where I was. It didn't really know where it started. I was on the dead street. I could hear music in the distance. I could hear Comfortably Numb by Pink Floyd. And uh, all houses, buildings, cars were boarded up. I heard this loud howl coming from a few blocks away. I knew it wasn't an animal, but it had to be something like a wendigo or a rake. I ran as fast as I could. I ran down alleys, parking lots. That thing caught me, slammed me against the wall. And I had, it had the face of, the de of a deer, the body of a goblin. It was rotting away and slammed me onto the ground. I heard it talking to me and said, I smell your fear. I see the look of shame inside your eyes, this feeling inside your body. Your heart is my dinner. I screamed as loud as I could, then I woke up. God, my heart was beating so fast. Hmm. So it's sort of a post-apocalyptic landscape, which I appreciate. And then turns into so a wendigo and a rake these are creature like sort of 
I don't know what you'd call it. I mean, they're monsters from sort of modern day internet lore. You you will, I believe. Uh, I think Wendigo could actually be a Native American uh, creature, like like from their folklore. And maybe I need to do more research on, on the rake, but I just know it from sort of, you know, like more modern internet adaptations. Um, but that's just an explanation for those of you wondering. Um, and then it does turn into a chasing nightmare. And then the fact that when it catches him, it actually kind of tells him, you know, what he could be running from, or it hints at it. I smell your fear. I see the look of shame inside your eyes, this feeling inside your body. Your heart is my dinner. So that's interesting. Maybe there's something he's ashamed of that he doesn't want to own up to or, um, you know, deal with. Comfortably numb is an absolute banger. Oh, every, <laughs> I read that last. Um, oh no, that's just that's just that's just a standalone comment right there. Uh, to run away from an individual, a monster, man, or creature that is attempting to injure you denotes that you are trying to escape in waking life. You're defensive in waking life. Yeah, that's definitely one of the more common ones we've seen, and that's one that, because it's so common, I remember what it means. Um, I wonder whether that guy has an idea about what it is in his life that is inspiring these nightmares. They are partic uh, particularly horrid. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, but yeah, he's posted on here before. I've read some stuff by him before. All right, let's do some user viewer. I always say user viewer submitted nightmares. Uh, so this, um, let me get my music, sorry. So this nightmare was sent to me by uh, a girl named Michelle. Uh, I read one of her Reddit stories a few weeks ago and I'm very pleased that she uh, sent me this. Uh, and after this, I do have another viewer submitted nightmare, but hang on to your seats. So the title of this one is The Serial Killer and the Choice. The post reads, the email reads, I was walking on the street with my mom in my neighborhood. We knew there was a serial killer in the neighborhood as well, but we didn't really expect him to show up right in front of us. He did, though. He was killing two girls with an axe when we ran into him. He was like some mindless monster, and as soon as he saw us, he came after us, ready to chop off our heads. He couldn't kill us both at the same time, though, so he made a quick choice regarding which one of us to kill first. He randomly chose to go after my mom. This gave me the opportunity to run away. This is where the dream became a game. Everything froze, and there was some kind of screen. I could choose now to try to save my mom, but the screen said I had no chance at all of succeeding. I could also run, but I would, and I would definitely survive, but my mom would die alone, with the last thing she'd ever see being her daughter, leaving her to die in order to save herself. The choice would have been easier if my mom had sacrificed herself, telling me to live on for her uh, for her sake and stuff. But this happened so suddenly. 
She probably hadn't even had the time to think about anything like that. All I could see was the fear in her eyes, the fear of dying, and I knew I would make it a hundred times worse if I left her alone. I thought it was unfair to leave her to die and save myself, because either one of us could have been chosen as the victim. I also knew I'd never forgive myself if I hadn't even tried, and desperate, uh, sorry, and despite being really afraid of the pain that goes with being beheaded, I decided to try and save her. I woke up before being actually killed, though. And she goes on to say, fun fact, I asked my mom what she thought of my decision in the dream, and she was actually really happy that I tried to save her. She did say that if I was given the choice in real life that she would want me to save myself, but she also thought the decision made me a good person and that it really showed that I love her and stuff made her really happy. Well, thank you so much for sending me that sweet nightmare. I know it's, you know, odd to call it that, as you said yourself. Um, serial killer is a scary dream. Your mom wants you to save yourself. <laughs> Yeah, I think that she knew that, but yeah, we all we all we all kind of know that. But at the same time, I I see where she's coming from there, um, and I feel like this is this one doesn't even really need a whole lot of interpretation. I think it kind of speaks for itself. Um, but yeah, again, thanks to Michelle for sending that in, and then I have another one uh, from uh, anonymous viewer, and I don't believe it has a title, but we'll just get into it. I crossed the street from the house I grew up in, except the house, the house itself was a big mansion instead of a two-story brown brick. I grew up on a busy street, so I had to dodge some cars and a delivery truck to get across. Then I went into the house across the street. It was this kind of modern, kind of long, tall house with windows at the back and bar stools, or bench-style stools across by the window. There was a bar in this house to the left as I walked in, as an old hole-in-the-ground pub. The room was dim, but for window light from the back. There was a phone call. The phone rang. It was an old-style, beige phone with a wall plug and a coiled cord to the handset, and my recently deceased mom was calling. Then, in my dream, I woke up and I was trying desperately to remember what my mom had said in the dream call. A kind of instinctive memory was that she said she loved me, and then the call had ended. Again, I noticed it was an old-style phone. Suddenly, my ex-husband was there with me, and he heard a call, uh, and he had heard the call, and said he heard her tell me she loved me. While still awake in my dream, and with relief on my part, as I was longing to see her, my mom arrived at this place. This long, narrow, bar-like house across from my childhood home. But she was not as she had been in life, or even at the time of her death. She was, instead, bald, and bloated in the face, with completely blackened eyes. She was perhaps younger than she had been when she died except for the disturbing blackened eyes. She appeared as though she were in the midst of the chemotherapy she had survived, she had not survived to receive. I assume that means in real life. Indeed, she appeared as she might have by this time 
had she survived and undergone that chemo, and been twenty years younger going through it. Her affect was almost zombie-like. She was not of this life. My anxiety was assuaged when she did hug and kiss me, and tell me that she loved me. I asked if she forgave me, although there was no specific transgression. I just wanted to be forgiven for my failings with respect to her, and she said, yes, I forgive you. And then I asked her if there is an afterlife. I wanted to ask about heaven, but she didn't look as though she had come from heaven, which made me afraid for her. So I asked if there was an afterlife, and she said yes, and I said, how is it? And she said, it's disappointing, and that she doesn't like to be down with the others. She likes to be up here, where we are. And then my mother kind of just wandered away out the front door into the haze of daylight, and I was very sad to see her go. I was terribly worried about her and desperately forgave her for all her failings so that she could go to heaven, or at least stay here with me. Then, still awake in the dream, I talked to my sister, who told me that she had heard from her too. That was when I woke up for real. So that is a not-so-sweet dream uh, about her nightmare about uh, your mother. Um, to describe, I mean, it, obviously it's implied that she's come from hell, um, but to describe it as disappointing does seem a little bit benign. Like, maybe that's not so bad then. Disappointing. It's not as spectacular as she hoped, <laughs> or something like that. I mean, uh, yeah, but uh, I'm sorry you had that dream. Uh, again, I feel like in this case, it's it seems almost fairly obvious. It, it's, you know, flushed out so well that I think that you can probably identify what you want to identify from that uh, in and of itself. Yeah, it's sad. It's likely part of your, you know, grieving process. Um, yeah. All right. Well, that is going to be it for this week of Nightmare Theater, an open book club for nightmares. Uh, tune in next week at 9 p.m. for a brand new episode, uh, Sunday that is. And I think that we're going to be talking about, let me check, premonitory dreams. So especially if you've ever had a dream and then you felt like that it came true in some regard, please send me an email like that. Uh, because that's what we're going to be talking about, is dreams that seem to then come true. So that's next week's topic. Uh, I've been Sander Desmond with The Forgotten Grove, and this has been Nightmare Theater, an open book club for nightmares. And until next time, embrace the beautiful dark. <laughs>